Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have great guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about immigration policy law and reform. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa. He's a professor. He's also author of Josephus of Oz. Uh, we'll visit with Larry Bell, the endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, author of several books. His latest is just coming out, I think, in the next couple of days, How Everything Happened, Including Us. So we'll visit with uh, Larry Bell as well. It is July the 15th, and on this day in seven, 1979, President Jimmy Carter addressed the nation via live television to discuss the nation's energy crisis and accompanying recession. Carter prefaces talk about energy policy with an explanation of why he believed the American economy remained in crisis. <laughs> he recounted, I'll never forget this speech, he recounted a meeting he had hosted at uh, Camp David with leaders of the fields of business, labor, education, and politics. And what he concluded, he says that we have a bad attitude. No, he really said we have a moral and spiritual, a lack of moral and spiritual crisis, confidence. He concluded, we had a general malaise. I'll never forget those words, the general malaise. So uh, when this was in the midst of, of course, the uh, OPEX uh, uh, oil crisis, uh, the, jacking up the price of oil, and then President Trump, or President uh, Carter decided he was going to impose price ceilings on gas. That created all kinds of long lines. Interest rates were all-time all high, and every decision he made, he actually, I think, during this period of time, created the uh, Department of Education. What a great decision that was. In any event, uh, he certainly said, well, perhaps we have a loss, uh, loss of a uh, lack of leadership, too, and he was certainly right about that. He uh, ran for president for another term and, of course, was defeated by Ronald Reagan, who brought uh, the economy back with some good decisions. Carter's solution was always more government instead of unleashing American ingenuity. Pre president Reagan figured that out and uh, led us on to uh, lower taxes, allowing fewer regulations and uh, unleashing American ingenuity. General malaise, that was Carter's uh, statement. We had a general malaise. Yeah, well, <laughs> we were concerned about his leadership. So yesterday there were 266 new cases of COVID-19 along with two additional deaths. Now we have a total of 96 in Collier County, an 82-year-old man who'd confirmed contact with a known case. So in other words, he had confirmed contact. They're not saying that he died with coronavirus, but he had contact with somebody who did. And then a 91-year-old man uh, also died. Again, it's just very suspect that they're included in the count. There have been a total of 463 people in Collier County who have been hospitalized, although right now there's 124 COVID-19 patients in the hospital being treated right now. So a total of 45,447 tests and 6,731 positive. And now on a day of reporting coronaviruses, uh, yesterday I'm so proud of what the Cuyahoga County Commissioners did, uh, did. They, after five hours of passionate public comment, commissioners voted three to two against a proposed ordinance that would have required owners managers, employees, customers, or patrons of a business in an unincorporated collier to wear a face mask covering while in that business. Medical experts and public health experts and all kinds of folks said this is something we should do, but three to two, they said, no, we're not going to do it, and I'm so proud of them for, for doing that. Uh, I think it's a great decision. Now, business owners can make their own decisions. They want mask worn. Uh, they do that in Costco. They can make that decision. We need the Cuyahoga County commissioners deciding that and then imposing fines on us when we don't wear masks. Well, a Florida hospital handling COVID-19 tests confirmed to the media this week that its near 100% positivity rate was overstated by a factor of 10, raising already heightened concerns that numerous labs overreporting the number of confirmed infections. The Florida Division of Emergency Management posted a daily coronavirus update on its website, which features a list of the positivity rates 
of every COVID testing facility in the state. That's where I'm getting my information, and I'm sure that's where the newspapers are getting its. Hundreds of labs and hospitals throughout Florida are regularly testing state residents for the coronavirus. In recent days, numerous facilities have begun reporting 100% positivity rates, figures significantly higher than the statewide average of around 10 or 15%. Many of those labs claim they've tested only one patient, though others with 100% rates testing dozens and sometimes hundreds of patients. Uh, hats off to uh, Fox 35 in Orlando for figuring this out, for doing some good investigative uh, journalism and reporting. These, uh, this news station reported that the area hospital, Orlando Health, confirmed errors in the report with hospital officials stating their positivity rate is only 9.4%, not 98%. You think that's a concern? I think it is. Another Orlando lab, Veteran Medical Center, listed a positivity rate of 76%, but it should have been 6%. The inflated numbers come as Florida has been recording number record number of COVID-19 infections. So why is this happening? Who's behind this? This is, uh, if nothing else, the coronavirus pandemic is a textbook example of how to create fear and anxiety that is out of proportion to the threat and spur panic-induced policies that needlessly kill people like seniors in New York nursing homes. It also demonstrates how to keep panic going even as evidence piles up. The initial fears were wildly exaggerated. So here's what's happened, I think, during our pandemic. We've had wildly exaggerated, uh, exaggerated the deadliness of the disease in the very beginning. When we've overcounted deaths and undercounted cases, that in about the comment on the deaths, of course, we've heard about uh, as many as 30 or 40 percent of the deaths aren't really COVID-19 related that are being counted in the in the count. Ignoring positive trends, and we've certainly seen the leveling of the curb curve. Uh, that's been a positive trend, and deaths, the number of deaths decreasing, act as though the new infection is a tragedy. Any new uh, infection is a tragedy. It certainly is not. Most people are asymptomatic and ignore the health consequences of lockdowns. If we're going to learn anything from this experience, the first lesson ought to be how to avoid a panic the next time a panic comes around because only once a panic sets in, it's hard to to, uh, stop it for sure. The corona panic form just seems to never end. It goes on and on. Well, the financial markets aren't buying into it. In fact, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up over 550 points yesterday, and futures up about 350 right now, so it looks like another good day on Wall Street. Well, Tommy Tuberville and President Trump were the big winners yesterday in the Republican Senate primary runoff in Alabama. He's a Tuberville is a first-time politician and former Auburn University coach, defeated former U.S. Attorney Jeff Sessions, thanks in part to the endorsement from the president. The Associated Press projected Tuberville as a winner in the election about 90 minutes after the polls closed. He's up uh, so like 65 to 35 percent. Uh, it looked like that uh, he was going to really actually cream <laughs> uh, Sessions. So uh, the, the set, this has been called, and of course, President got his way. He was pretty clear and vocal about his support of Tuberville, who really never campaigned. He just let, uh, he let the president speak for him. Uh, and Trump claimed that T- Jones is a terrible senator who is uh, just a super liberal puppet for Schumer and Pol- Pelosi. That's uh, uh, Jones is who uh, Tuberville is going to be running against. Well, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was hospitalized yesterday for a possible infection. Now, a reminder, she's 87 years of age, and she's been in the hospital for cancer and other things. She's experiencing a fever and chills. The justice is resting comfortably and will stay in the hospital for a few days to receive uh, intravenous antibiotic treatment, that according to a spokesperson. So uh, we certainly wish her well, but uh, needless to say, it's going to create quite the fear if something happens to Justice Ginsburg, if she needs to step down or if she dies, because the uh, left is just not going to like that at all. The chance for President Trump to appoint another uh, justice to the Supreme Court. Yesterday, the, uh, the DOJ executed a federal prisoner for the first time in 20 years. It's a pretty big deal. Daniel Lewis Lee, a former white supremacist, 
Convicted in 1999 of killing an Arkansas family of three, he was scheduled to be executed on Monday, but the federal judge halted it, saying Lee and other inmates had argued the injection method posed an unconstitutionally significant risk of serious pain. Wow, what an argument. Yesterday morning, the Supreme Court argued that the method had been used over 100 executions without incident and ruled 5-4 to four to let Lee's execution move forward, and he died hours later. Kind of interesting. Uh, we t- take so much concern about somebody on death row, and yet uh, we're letting prisoners out in New York City and uh, allowing uh, <laughs> crime to occur with uh, reducing the police force. The irony of all this is just amazing. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar, and he's chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about immigration law, reform, and policy. We're going to be doing that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And great summer programs going right now. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's written several books, and he's the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, 
and Limited Government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato.org, and I must say, Bob has really had a big big influence on my life and uh, my points of view as we've talked about some of the issues here in the in the United States and what's going on. And uh, Bob, we even continue, we're going to continue our discussion about immigration policy, law, and reform. So we are talking a little bit about anchor babies last time. What's your conclusion regarding the anchor baby question? Well, recall that the 14th Amendment says all persons born or naturalized in the U.S. and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens. Mm-hmm. So, like, illegal aliens are subject to our jurisdiction, and so a literal reading of that provision would suggest that illegal aliens have kids, they are citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though usually we look at the text of the Constitution, when the original meaning of the text leads to absurd consequences, we sometimes depart from the literal meaning. Mm-hmm. And here, the consequences may well be absurd. I mean, we have a legal rule that criminalizes unauthorized entry into the U.S. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we offer a major inducement to unauthorized entry by promising illegals that if they have a kid here, uh, that kid will be a uh, citizen. We reward citizenship to the children of law violators. So my guess is that if Congress were to deny citizenship to children of illegal and even non-permanent aliens, the Supreme Court might uphold that law. It's a close call. Hmm. Lindsey Graham tried it in 2011, but the bill didn't go anywhere. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, one, one thing we do know is that the president can't do this unilaterally. Uh, that's beyond his powers. Well, it reminds me of Obama's decision, though. Well, we talked about that earlier. So what is your view on the heated question of sanctuary cities? Well, a number of cities have refused to cooperate with uh, fed, federal authorities in detaining and deporting uh, illegals, uh, and President Trump threatened to cut funding for those cities. So I think that threat is a problem. It ignores several principles of federalism. Um, even though federal law supersedes any conflicting state law, and even though the states cannot frustrate or impede federal enforcement, the feds are not allowed to commandeer state officials to enforce federal law. So if the feds want their laws enforced and the local jurisdiction refuses to cooperate, then federal enforcement personnel has to be used. And that's true whether we're talking about gun background checks or we're talking about marijuana laws or we're talking about uh, immigration laws. And just a month ago, um, the Supreme Court refused to review a a case uh, where California uh, prohibited private employers from voluntarily cooperating with federal immigration officials and barred local authorities from sharing information about release from custody. So I think it's pretty clear the court abides by this principle that the feds can enforce their own laws but they can't require the states to enforce their laws. Yeah, it just seems a shame that you can't get uh, mutual cooperation, though. Is the president justified in withholding federal funds from sanctuary cities? Well, the court is required that there be some logical connection between any any, uh, withheld funds and the goal of the law. So, for example, uh, the court allowed federal highway funds to be withheld as a means of enforcing a national speed limit because highway funds and highway safety were deemed to be closely linked. But if Congress were to try to withdraw highway funds to prevent sanctuary cities, uh, I think that linkage would obviously be not uh, sufficient. And, and of course, if the president tried that without Congress's approval, it's even more likely that the court would intervene and, yeah. and, uh, and put a stop to that. So haven't the courts also said that the feds can't use funding to force state cooperation? That's correct. Uh, the feds cannot deny funding to states in a manner, manner that essentially compels the state to uh, to cooperate. Uh, That's how Obama, you remember, tried to enforce, to force the states to expand Medicaid. Mm -hmm. He said he was going to withhold all Medicaid funding if a state uh, refused to expand Medicaid. And then the Supreme Court reminded Obama that coercive conditions imposed on the receipt of uh, federal funds is uh, incompatible with federalism, and therefore it's it's unconstitutional. So we have sovereignty uh, in this country split between the feds and the states. Mm -hmm. Uh, Collaboration isn't constitutionally mandated, uh, but the sanctuary cities can't obstruct 
federal enforcement. The difficulty, of course, is distinguishing the refusal to cooperate from an active uh, obstruction, and that's a, that's a tight call sometimes. Yes, it is. Well, so finally, I mean, this is the kind of the big question. What, what changes would you make to our immigration system with all the things that we've been talking about? Well, I think what we need is an immigration system that's focused on work-related uh, criteria. Uh, the, U the U.S. has always issued temporary work permits, usually from one to three years. But work seems to have a low priority in our uh, immigration law. Uh, each year, we admit <coughs> about, uh, before the pandemic, that is, about a million legal immigrants and a half a million come in illegally. Mm -hmm. uh, the annual number of employment-related visas is 86,000. So it's nearly impossible for foreigners to work in the U.S. unless they're asylum seekers, uh, they have close relatives here, they marry a U.S. citizen, or they come in illegally. What we need is a half a million new immigrant workers every year. Mm -hmm. And a sensible strategy would encourage both unskilled workers and those with advanced degrees and give them a, a means of coming in uh, legally, while at the same time uh, cracking down on those who come in illegally. And that makes a lot of sense, Bob. I, mean, I think of other things, too. We, we Right now, people are required to go back to their country of origin uh, to reapply for uh, a visa, if, if I'm not mistaken about that. In other words, we have a lot of really convoluted things in our law that make it difficult for people who come here legally in the first place. Indeed, we do. Yeah. And at the same time, we have uh, half a million coming in illegally every year. So we do need a revised immigration policy, and Congress has been derelict, has abdicated its role, forced the president to do things which constitutionally he should not be doing. Absolutely. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit uh, the website cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, as always, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with uh, Andrew Joppa. Andy is a, a professor. Uh, he's also the author of Josephus of Oz. that just provides great commentary. In fact, I posted his last three columns on my website uh, last night. Uh, they are. Uh, you can go to my website, bobharden.com, and just check out, correct me if I'm wrong, there you'll find a series of uh, his of uh, his commentary going back over a year but the last three this past week uh, he, I've, uh, they're posted right there you can take a look at them okay we're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
ACC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Among other things, they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's uh, author also. His, his book is Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, uh, you know, I uh, wasn't able to talk about it in the first segment, but uh, Barry Weiss resigned as the uh, editor of the uh, opinion pages or uh, uh, in the uh, New York Times. The letter that she wrote was scathing, so well-written. It was unbelievable. I just wanted to get any thoughts on that. Well, I have a lot of thoughts on it. It's, uh, it's I hope, the start of a pushback campaign against those trying to restrict uh, free speech, freedom of the press, and Barry Weiss certainly fell into that circumstance. Uh, uh, she was the opinion uh, editor at the at the New York Times. Just one of her comments from the letter you referred to, uh, her uh, resignation letter, the paper of record is more and more the record of those living in a distant galaxy, mm-hmm. one whose concerns are profoundly removed from the lives of, peop- of most people. Uh, and so here we have the, the paper of record, the one that I grew up with the deepest respect for, and most people did, uh, that has now be- become a little more than the National Enquirer back in the 50s, Bob. So uh, it's, it's a serious pushback from a, a, a young woman. She's only 36, and uh, I, I hate to see her uh, out of the mix at the, uh, at, at the New York Times, but on the other hand, that she is... Uh, doing that, pushing back, and making those views public, I think, is a very positive thing in general for the uh, for the future of the press and and free speech. So, yes, I'm I'm pleased to see Barry Weiss uh, doing that. I'd also like to cite Andrew Sullivan over at New York Ma- uh, Magazine, who uh, Andrew Sullivan has a has a mixed career in terms of whether he's a conservative or not. I think he's probably more. Uh, left of center than right of center for most issues. But Andrew Sullivan, Sullivan has also resigned from New York Magazine for about the same reasons as, uh, as Barry Weiss at the, at the New York Times, because the uh, suppression of free speech, the suppression of the written word uh, at New York Magazine has become totally unacceptable uh, to Andrew Sullivan. Uh, so those, I think, are, are positive signs. I, uh, again, once again, I, I hate to see these people out of the mix at their publications, but on the other hand, that they're willing to uh, offer that pushback, to make these public statements, uh, I think might uh, in the future serve to be a source of courage for others of, of like mind. So yeah. uh, that's a, a real source of optimism right now. Yeah, I, I would like to just uh, suggest to our listeners, I would have liked to have read the entire letter that she wrote because it was so eloquent and so important in the points that she makes in the letter. I will refer our listeners to BarryWeiss.com. She has her own website, and she posts the letter right there. It's B-A-R-I-W-E-I-S-S.com. And do take a look at the letter because uh, I, I think... To your point, Andy, I mean, it's a great summary of what we've experienced with regard to the press. And to your point also, maybe this is the first step towards, uh, you know, reforming fake news. Well, in one day to have two fairly major writers uh, and people involved with what we can call the the leftist media, to have them push back on on the same day, I think is a very strong indication that... uh, and I know the, the recognition at these publications, at the New York Times and New York Magazine, go far beyond Barry Weiss and Andrew Sullivan. Mm-hmm. I know there is a much deeper well of discontent in these publications. And if they exist there, I'm sure they exist across the broad expanse uh, of, of the American press and media in general. So uh, if we can get a few people displaying this kind of courage, uh, perhaps, 
perhaps, optimistically, perhaps, we can get more doing the same thing. Absolutely. Uh, Before we talk about some of the other cultural issues, a big victory for Tommy Tuberville last night for the U.S. Senate candidacy in Alabama. Any thoughts? Well, a big uh, victory for Tommy Tuberville. I think he'll beat Doug Jones in the in the general election in the, in November. Uh, I think it's a big victory victory for the president. Uh, I believe the uh, the Republican residents of Alabama came out in support of Tommy Tuberville to a large extent because of the disgruntlement with Jeff Sessions' relationship with uh, with President Trump when he was Attorney General, uh, and I think that's a strong show of. If we're talking about a real show as compared to uh, something in the polls, I think the 25-point plurality of Tommy Tuberville over Jeff Sessions was a significant statement of the enthusiasm that exists for uh, for President Trump. So I'm, I'm optimistic, and I'm optimistic, obviously, we'll pick up uh, another Senate seat. I think that's that's a critical factor here. Yeah. Uh, I'd also like to throw out, as long as we're on this, this positive bent, which I'm not normally involved <laughs> with, uh, Goya Foods. Uh, Goya Foods have been walking off the shelves uh, uh, in the in the supermarkets. Uh, their uh, CEO, Robert uh, Unanu, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, Unanu has come out as a supporter of, of of President Trump, and he has been excoriated, as we can well expect, from uh, from all the members of the left and and the media. And I think we uh, we voters who uh, who uh, admire President Trump and uh, admire the courage shown by Unanu have walked into the supermarkets, and we have taken Goya food products right off the shelves. So yeah. uh, they've reached their highest moment of, of daily sales in the last week uh, in their whole history. So I, I think that's a sign of of optimism. I think we can also add to that that the, one of the leading uh, attack agents against uh, Yunano was uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who, who attacked him uh, viciously for uh, his, his attack. So here she is, a, uh, a Latino attacking perhaps the most prominent Latino in the food industry, at right, least. Right. Uh, and it, it shows that this woman is just uh, vacant in terms of understanding her community and understanding what a true entrepreneur and contributor to America looks like. Yeah. Uh, that she graduated from Boston University with a, a cum laude degree in international relations and economics, I think is a, is a Boston University has to think about the quality of the output of their student <laughs> yeah, population. Very, very ridiculous indeed. Uh, so uh, I'll, I want to do a little shout out in the same vein for Alfie Oaks. Uh, he's the uh, owner of uh, Seed to Table and he uh, he's filed an 86-page complaint against the uh, the Collier County or Lee County School System School Board uh, for canceling a contract. He's he called the Black Lives Matter and the uh, coronavirus uh, both were hoaxes, <laughs> and of course exercising his uh, free speech. But the point is this: I went over there and I, I personally congratulated him, met him the other day. As I was talking to him, there must have been seven or eight people walking by, giving him high fives, give fist pumps, all that type of thing, be, for what he has done. And uh, most of them were uh, first responders, like uh, from fire departments and uh, police and so forth. So a little shout-out to uh, Alfie Oaks as well. Well, look, I think that's, that's uh, fabulous stuff, and I, uh, I do believe that uh, each of us, as we contribute our own voices on this, uh, contribute to a general well of courage that, uh, that will inspire others. I'm not saying necessarily you or I, but I'm saying all of us uh, that have the, the courage to speak out, Bob, will give others to speak out and push back, and I think that's the key. I think the key is is the pushback in the in the American culture, and if we could get that going and give it a full head of steam, uh, I think we have a chance maybe of salvaging America. If not, if the American people do not push back against everything we're seeing, the cancel culture and the uh, the, the funding of the police and all of the other absurdities that are that are attendant with the the Democrats and their platform, the socialist Democrats and their platform, I, I think we're lost. But the American people. And this is an optimistic statement for me, but I'm seeing more of it. If they push back, I think we can get it done, Bob. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, especially how far academia has fallen. That's one of your columns. Can, uh, can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa, college professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, we're going into this new election, right, to the election in 2020. A lot, on, lot at stake. And uh, you wrote, How Far Academia Has Fallen. Scary stuff. Maybe you can tell us about it. Let me get to that in a second. Let me just continue one of our off-air comments, and I think it, it might be of value. Uh, I think this is the first time in history, Bob, where a people, at least half of a people, have willingly and wantonly rejected uh, a, a society, a culture, a government, that is built around freedom, the rights of the individual, with a sound economic system, and, and, and the ability to succeed for all if they just put their, uh, their minds to it. Uh, that, that system is being rejected by half of the American people. I can't think of another circumstance where that's happened. Even if we look at the Bolsheviks in the, uh, in the, in the early part of the 20th century, at least they were uh, rejecting a very corrupt, for hundreds of years corrupt, uh, czarist system. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Nazis in Germany, as abhorrent as they were, obviously, uh, but they were, they were dealing with a, a, a possible communist takeover and, and the worst hit uh, country for depression in, in that period of time. So in those circumstances, you can understand the, uh, the, the circumstance that would generate these people. Uh, in this country, we have people of a comparable type, comparable to the Bolsheviks, comparable to the Nazis, who are, reje- who are rejecting and reacting to one of the finest nations and finest value systems the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is absolutely inexplicable, and I believe, Bob, without precedent. You know, Andy, I, I have to say that I've never seen such a, such a stark contrast between platforms. President Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, he announced now his $2 trillion Green New Deal and other things. We could go on and on in stark contrast to law and order, to uh, a thriving free enterprise system that uh, is promoted by President Donald Trump. I mean, quite frankly, people have to make a choice between do we want to just have this thing to generate into a total socialist chaos or do we want to have law and order, and do we want to have a, a free, free market culture? Well, there's, there's a word I really have a, a, a difficult time with, the word we, which would seem to be the historic way of describing the American people. But I, I think that's part of the issue, obviously, is there's no longer a we, Bob. We talked briefly last week about mm-hmm. uh, the possibility of disunification uh, in the American people and uh, how we will possibly resolve this this incredible uh, divide between between Americans. I, I personally don't see how that can be resolved, so... Uh, it's, it's a longer discussion than we have time for right now, but I think we're looking at a, a bifurcated American people without the ability for, for resolution. So 
Um, that is perhaps, in, in many ways, the problem facing facing America right now. Yeah. If we look at some of the issues uh, that uh, exist in the Democrat platform, which you alluded to, uh, I mentioned to you earlier, the, uh, they want to abolish the suburbs. They want to abolish um, uh, uh, bail, cash bail nationwide. Uh, they want to create a $2 trillion system of, of solar e- energy, uh, that, what, uh, granting citizenship to perhaps 25 to 30 million people and uh, accompanying, uh, accompanied by, by the voting process, which would uh, effectively end all of our discussions, Bob, because uh, there'd be no chance for recall of America if that was ever to happen. So uh, we're looking at a moment where uh, America will, uh, I think in 2020, November, I think we can suggest America might be totally lost I don't think it can be totally won in November. I think it can be be, be helped in America. But so the greater possibility uh, is that America might be totally lost if we lose the Senate, if we lose the presidency. Uh, I believe there is no chance for salvaging America. Uh, Certainly uh, not the America that, that yeah, we know about. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, however, I think this. Uh Tuberville, I, I mispronounce his name, uh, is, is kind of a canary in the coal mine. We're seeing some of the results of uh, in Maine and uh, other elections yesterday. We're seeing kind of a fractured uh, Democrat Party, uh, a lack of response and people showing up. And we're seeing, I think, a lot of support for the president. I, and, you know, it's it, uh, if we're going to reimagine something, can we re- reimagine all of a sudden, for example, California voting uh, red, becoming a, a red state? I think it's possible. Well, I think it's possible it, because it's not, it's not impossible. I mean, I'm very optimistic, certainly about uh, President Trump's chances in in November. I haven't uh, lost confidence in in this man's ability to get it done. Of course, the uh, the restriction on, on 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 crowd gatherings is going to hurt his major forum, which is the the rally. Uh, uh, I don't think I, I predict actually at this point that uh, Joe Biden will never face to face debate uh, President Trump. I, right. I just can't see that happening. I know I've heard all the comments that he has to do it. Uh, I think the, the more uh, important position is that he can't do it. Right. He, it's impossible for him to fulfill a, a face-to-face debate. Right. Uh, so the major forums that Trump would use to, uh, to gain the strength, uh, increasing strength into that election, I, I think are perhaps going to be suppressed by by Democrat process of artificially inflating uh, the impact of COVID-19. I think recently there's uh, been uh, indications that the uh, the numbers in Florida, I've had four or five friends call me from around the country asking me how I am because I'm in Florida. Yeah. Uh, the, the numbers here have been super inflated, super, I think, politicized. Sure. Uh, and I think this is the intent of this, this process. Yeah, I mean, just to mention yesterday the president had a press conference and again it was about China and his executive order, which is great, but he went on for an hour talking about the contrast between uh, uh, Joe Biden presidency and his presidency, and it was just amazing, and it was, to me, you could just see the reporters squirming there, <laughs> having to listen to, to uh, what, what amounted to, I think it was kind of a campaign rally speech, or maybe the one he wanted to give uh, on uh, last week in New Hampshire, but the point is that uh, I th- he is... He's, I think he'll find other outlets for, for uh, his message. I, I hope so. I'm a little concerned right now with Tucker Carlson taking a long-planned vacation exactly at the moment that uh, Blake Neff has been identified as, as, as posting some racist and misogynist comments online. I mean, I can't understand the idiocy of a man who's associated with a great uh, uh, conservative spokesperson like Tucker Carlson doing that at the, the the absurdity of that is just is just yeah. outrageous. Uh, I remember when Bill Riley left to take a, a brief vacation. Bill Riley never came. O'Reilly never came back to, ah. uh, to Fox. So I'm concerned about Tucker. He has been, in my estimation, the major conservative voice on the media. Uh, no question about it. Aside from uh, Rush Limbaugh, he has just been outstanding. Now, my understanding is he's going fishing with his son. This is an annual event. But your point is, it could be the time that they plan to say no mas. Yeah, I, I hope that's not true. I think Fox would take a huge price here. We have the most highly rated cable show and on television, a person that almost everyone who is of, of a like mind, a like mind being that we respect America, essentially, uh, uh, turns to him. Uh, my wife refuses to not have me watch it. I mean, uh, no, she'll, well, she'll stick me out and drag me to the room if I'm not watching well, it. Well, you know what? If we have a planned event, we actually record it. We watch We watch every uh, episode of the Tucker Carlson show because it is such 
terrific. In fact, I wish he'd just do have no guests and just uh, do his commentary because he's almost as good as you, Andy. Well, I, that, that's up. <laughs> Tough to believe, Bob, but I'll, I'll accept that for the moment. So we, uh, let, let's get back to the how far academia has fallen. Now, yes. my, my whole premise in my uh, column that I wrote on that had to do with my background. I've been in academia teaching for 40 years, full-time faculty for, for 25, the last 15 online. Uh, I will tell you, back in the 80s and 90s, it was a liberal institution. I was in Westchester County, New York, and so it was liberal. Uh, and I was perhaps the only... Uh, at least outspoken conservative in my school. And my school is the largest school in Westchester and the most financially successful. So this is not some fly-by-night school where, uh, where this is an unusual type of environment, an anomaly, so to speak. Uh, and I would be called on constantly to debate uh, in, the, in the huge lecture hall at the school in terms of taking conservative positions against a liberal professor taking a, a, a liberal position. Uh, and these were, were well received. I had a constant column in the, uh, in the school's newspaper, the reporter's impact, talking about conservative positions. So no, no one in my school, very few in my school agreed with me, mm -hmm. but my voice was respected and it was sought out. At this point in American academia, Bob, my voice would not be possible. It could not exist. Uh, there are individual colleges, Hillsdale, for example, where that is is still possible, but I would say in 95% or more of American colleges, my type of voice would be uh, not heard, would be impossible to be heard, yeah. uh, and that is what will happen, I would suggest, Bob, within a, uh, a 20 to 25-year time period. So it's been a, a, a dramatic uh, fall from where it was uh, to where it is now. I cannot understand why anyone would send their child to an elite college in America for fifty or $60,000 a year to have them be maleducated. Uh, it's, I have a, a divided viewpoint in my own mind about whether schools should reopen in September. I, I think they should. I think that education, obviously, is a, is a critical component, and I, I think the support services the younger students receive in terms of uh, nourishment and in terms of psychological support are, are valuable. So uh, um, in that sense, obviously, I want these kids to go back. I want their parents to be free to go back to work. Uh, but I have this thing in the back of my mind that says, do I really want these kids to be educated by the type of people that are yeah. educating them? Yeah, if we look right now at the, uh, the L.A. teachers' uh, manifesto, uh, that they will not go back to work, Bob, unless the police are defunded. So here we have uh, 500,000 students who will not be uh, allowed to go back to school because the teachers' union in L.A. County yeah. refuses to go back to work unless the police are defunded. Do I want my child yeah. to be educated by that type of teacher, Bob? You know, Andy, you're making great points. And I just I want our listeners to know, go to my website, bobharden.com, and check out how far academia has fallen. You'll find it under the Correct Me If I'm Wrong tab and other columns by Andy. Really, it just I wish we could continue the conversation, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show today. Talk to you soon, Bob. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs, among other things, to get able-bodied folks off of welfare, off of SNAP, and back to uh, work. You can visit the website FGA, thefga.org, to find out more. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell. He's endowed professor at the University of Houston. He's also the author of several books. His latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. And coming out at the end of this month, and I'm really looking forward to reading it, it's How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor Larry Bell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. And I really do look forward to uh, I read *Sapiens*, which is doesn't have a very favorable uh, view of uh, you know, *Homo sapiens*. But uh, I think your book, as having getting getting to know you, is going to be a little bit different. Yeah, mine's quite a bit different. I, I liked Harari's book. I mean, I thought it was a very interesting book, but, but you know, he he, he kind of gives gives us a bad rap for knocking out the, the Neanderthals and ganging up on them when we invented our, you know, agriculture and so on. And I'm, I'm, living, I'm willing to live with that guilt. <laughs> okay. So, Professor, you, you've uh, written a column, which I really found. I'm so glad you're talking about climate change again. Prominent eco-activists expose alarmist climate dogma. Maybe you can tell us about it. You know, you know the climate beat is, uh, to me, it gets kind of boring because, you know, the climate's been changing a long time. I'm kind of getting used to that. Yeah. After a few million years, you kind of get used to it, but but uh, few people are kind of getting around to understanding that it happens and doesn't necessarily kill us every time. And we've had some bunch of mass extinctions in the past, but this, we don't seem to be creating another one, at least according to um, some some people that have apparently had epiphanies and realizing that their activism on climate was a little bit misguided and. Uh, so I talk about Michael Moore came out of the movie, uh, and you talk about Sapiens, and you know his movie is is Planet of the Humans, which shocked his usual backers because he's saying uh, you know that a lot of this green, uh, a lot of the green and renewable stuff is 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 just not you know not realistic, it's mm-hmm. not practical, and it's it's it's, it's a scam and. Uh, it causes more environmental damage than than the petroleum industry and so on. Now that's Michael. And, uh, that's Michael Moore. You're referring to the guy who. Yeah, that's Michael Moore. So, so that was a real that was a real uh, real shocker. Yeah, another another guy came along named Schellenberger, who was a was another guy who was big on you know the green movement, and he was on a. You know, he had received a Green Book Award, and Time Magazine had named him Hero of the Environment, and he's a co-author of uh, something called the uh, Eco-Modernist Manifesto and founder president of Environmental Property. I mean, he's got some real green credentials and mm-hmm. kind of a darling of that whole of that whole crowd. And he describes, you know, how he... You know, it was a scam. You know, it was. You know, it wasn't a scam in the sense that he sort of believed it, and then he realized how how misguided it was. And he and he he openly apologized this. Um, you know, he, he wrote a book, and he said, "The book is uh, apocalypse now." It was why environmentalism hurts us all, and and he expressed remorse for his efforts on behalf of 
influencing the adoption of climate energy proposals and rewarding companies that enriched the donors of the Obama campaign, hmm. but never delivered on, on, on what they said. So he's, he's a, so he, you know, he has come out of this book and, and he said that, uh, he talked about, you know, the greatest loss to, you know, the greatest damage to mass extinction and so on and, and habitat change is there, is um, killing of wild animals. And uh, so, and he talks about forest fire, you know, things that I've written about many times, that, you know, extreme weather events are actually fewer and less severe than they were in past decades and centuries. And there are, you know, as far as forest fires and so on, where, you know, we're, we're, we're building, we're not doing, practicing, uh, Responsible forestry, and we're building more and more homes, you know, near forests, mm -hmm. and uh, so on. Another is uh, Jean Lombard, who wrote a book, False Alarm, and that's just out now. And he's he's writes pretty good. He's like he's an economist, and he's been very very widely read, and so on. And he talks about you know the the um, misguided, you know, impacts of a lot of environmental policies. They're just, they're not economically, uh, economically sustainable, but Lomborg uh, still, you know, still talks about carbon dioxide being, you know, contributing to climate change, and I think, so I call him a lukewarmer. You know, <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, and he's, he's come out with another, I won't call it an expose because he's been writing about this for a long time, but we were talking about the destructive impact of a lot of these environmental policies that are, for some people, it's feel good and it's love Bambi and it's save the whales kind of, you know, in the in the, in the starving polar bears that Al Gore talks about and so on. But so some of it's kind of, you know, working on you know, empathy from the from the kitties and, yeah. and aren't we ever green and nice and so on? But some of it's just really, it's just crass, you know, uh, rent seeking. It's a part of Trying to get subsidies for for energy for like you know power you know uh, windmills and sunbeams that were supposed to have been you know they're supposed to, the subsidies were supposed to have been to help jumpstart those industries. Well, yeah, several decades ago, but they're yeah. not exactly new technology. So it's it's kind of you know it's like everything else. You kind of hope that sanity prevails. And, uh, but you don't want to get too optimistic. Yeah, I mean, you still hear about these carbon taxes, carbon trade. No, I've forgotten what they're called now, but, uh, the point yeah. being is that even, even people that are co more conservative are even buying in a little bit on this nonsense. And I just wish anybody would read your book, Scared Witless The Profits and Profits of Climate Doom. And again, you're a, a, a scientist. Uh, your space architecture and uh, you create uh, environments for extreme conditions, including outer space. But uh, your intellectual curiosity has led to you questioning what's going on with this climate change business. And you wrote a book about it. Well, in fact, a couple of books about it. Really outstanding. And I just anybody who thinks that we have uh, climate's changing, to your point. But the the big question is uh, why do we conflate carbon dioxide as with the whole notion of climate change? Make carbon dioxide the bad guy. Carbon dioxide is plant food. I mean, we, we need it. We exhale carbon dioxide, and we breathe in oxygen, and of course photosynthesis occurs and makes actually makes the world greener when we have more and more carbon dioxide, which is just a trace element in, in the environment. Well, a lot of my science friends, and I've, I've, got a, I've got a slew of them, and you know, the, with, you know, internet networking, you know, you, you develop these big networks of, of people that are have information interest, but you know they say, "Gee, why don't they, why don't they understand us?" The scientists, why don't they understand us? You know, gee, you know, we explain these things and so on. And I, I tell them, just as I do, look, this was never about science. This never had a damn thing to do about science. Remember the climate gate thing? I mean, they buried that. Yeah, it was never about science. It was about agendas. Yeah, unbelievable. And they use and, and, and they're enormously profitable in the agendas. I mean, they. The, you know these uh, these these organizations. They take in billions of dollars, unbelievable amounts of money, and uh, 
you know, you can get polar bears on your on your on your stamps. You know, postage stamps. They're hugely hugely profitable. Oh yeah, unbelievable. And uh, and it's it's so so to try to make sense and say, well, gee, why don't they understand us? It was never about understanding. It, yeah. it was that was the last thing <laughs> they wanted anyone to do. Just understand this stuff. Yeah, it's crazy, uh, Professor. It's look. I, well, I, unfortunately, out of time. So I just, but I want to just reinforce. I'm really looking forward to getting your new book. How everything happened, including us, uh, Professor Larry. Larry Bell is the is the author. I encourage your listeners to go to Amazon and check it out. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I certainly did and, and learned a lot myself. I uh, hope you'll uh, join us again tomorrow. We're going to visit with Keith Law. Uh, Byron Donalds, uh, a candidate for uh, Congress, will be with us. Seton Motley, the president and founder of Less Government, as well as Bill Barnett. I'll also, appreciate your comments. Uh, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com if you'd like to get on the distribution list for the uh, email that I send out after every show. You can send it to, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.